Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to our guest. Clara Chung is with us, uh, the global market strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. She's on the line from Singapore. Clara, thanks for being with us. Today, it was all about the Fed, obviously, and the comments from the Fed chairman seem to really strongly echo what we heard uh, earlier in the year, a couple of months back, actually, from, in, uh, from Powell in Jackson Hole. Shouldn't really be a surprise for markets that uh, the Fed is going to remain aggressively tight. And yet, here we are today with a spike in the yield on the two-year and a sell-off in stocks. Why do you think markets were not better prepared? Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. So overnight, uh, the Fed did deliver 75 basis points rate hike as per expected. But at the same time, I thought it was quite remarkable that they were also able to pull off a hawker surprise. Because uh, to your point, uh, you know, expectations were really very hawkish going into the meeting. Now, I think the way they achieved this hawkish surprise was really twofold. Um, the first is being the revisions to the dot plot, and the second being Chair Powell's tone during the press conference. So if we start with the dot plot first, the FOMC now sees the end 2022 and 2023 policy rate at 4.4 and 4.6% respectively. So this was revised up very substantially from the June forecast of 3.4 and 3.8% respectively. And there was also a significant downward revision to GDP growth in 2022 and 2023, which is in line with what the committee's priority is and what they've been communicating to actually fight uh, to contain inflation at all costs. And then during the press conference, I think Chair Powell made a very conscious effort to be explicitly hawkish in order to avoid any kind of loosening of financial conditions like what happened after the July FOMC meeting. So, you know, in terms of the market impact, this was clearly a negative for risk assets. Uh, The S&P, as you mentioned, sold off 1.7%, and the more growth-sensitive NASDAQ obviously sold off a little bit more at 1.8%. But what was interesting was that the tenure was quite stable. Right. It was mainly hovering around a 3.5% level. Uh, and I think that reflects a lot of the hawkishness coming into the meeting. Uh, Clara, also, I mean, is this the right uh, policy right now? I mean, you know, there are signs that uh, in core PCE, uh, should I say core CPI, we do have some of the components, some of the biggest components perhaps having peaked in terms of their price increases. Should it be tightening quite as much? Yeah, well, I mean... In our opinion, no, because I think there are a lot of um, current forces that are acting to slow down growth in the United States already. And, you know, to your point, uh, even some of the more stickier, bigger components of inflation, like shelter inflation, even though it continues to stay firm, 
but you know, we do note that the rental inflation index actually lags the actual observed rents uh, in the economy by about six months or so. And if you look at the trajectory of actual rents, that's actually peaked. Uh, back in February and March and have been coming down since. So if you think about the timeline, we're also probably pretty close to peaking uh, in shelter inflation as well. So that would argue for the Fed um, you know, being able to be a little bit more patient. Uh, but you know, given that the headline inflation number still remains relatively high, I think mm-hmm. they're feeling a little bit of heat. Uh, Clara, you know, with the Federal Reserve doing what it is, you know, which of the asset classes in Asia that are likely to be winners and losers from the Federal Reserve, considering also, of course, what we've been seeing worldwide in terms of geopolitical risks? And on the other hand, which assets uh, are the ones which can do better? Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of Asia, I think the Federal Reserve's outcome is likely to keep pressure on risk assets in general in the nearer term. Uh, and I think it could especially hurt uh, export-oriented companies uh, due to the effect of a strong dollar. Uh, and also, if you look at the increase in the discount rates, uh, especially at the front end, that's also probably going to hurt uh, growth stocks a little bit more disproportionately than um, factor neutral or value portfolios. Uh, and then in terms of assets that can possibly do well, uh, in an environment where there's still a lot of macroeconomic uncertainty, uh, we tend to believe that that's going to be more income-producing assets and specifically um, uh, high-quality investment-grade corporate bonds in the U.S. space, uh, especially the shorter maturity ones, are starting to look really interesting with a yield handle above 5%. How do you view geopolitical risk right now? To Rish's question, it's not only the situation in Ukraine and Russian President Putin declaring a partial mobilization. He's called up about 300,000 reservists. But there's also the U.S.-China-Taiwan situation. How do you handicap political risk right now? Yeah, I think, you know, on the margin, the U.S.-Taiwan-China situation um, really warrants a close eye and close monitoring because I think while all of these countries are not willing to really enter into conflict, but, you know, the rising hawkish rhetoric from all three parties uh, could really risk them sleepwalking into a conflict, which is really the outcome that, you know, markets would really hate. Uh, So I think, you know, from that perspective, um, this could probably warrant slightly higher risk premium uh, for Asia assets on a go-forward basis until you know we see a more substantiative de-escalation from all sides with regards to US, China, Taiwan. But that's not really the base case right now. I think the base case is more you know um, low-intensity military tensions continuing to persist uh, until after the midterm elections. Clara, when when you look at inflation, you know, it's sort of counterintuitive, but, you know, with interest rates going up and the uncertainty and inflation, of course, depressing assets, uh, depressing, should I say, some of these uh, uh, equities, I I should say here, um, it becomes almost, you know, a knee-jerk reaction to stay in cash, but cash is perhaps the worst place to be because sitting in cash uh, has got a high cost as well because of inflation. So, does your yeah. investment thesis then turn towards wealth preservation rather than anything else? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because uh, inflation is high. The cost of sitting in cash is high too. So at JP Morgan, what we've been trying to do is really to focus on high-quality defensive assets, incomes in the income space to really help clients to stay invested and get paid to be 
through this macroeconomic uncertainty. And, you know, that's uh, alluding to what I had spoken to earlier with um, positioning in high quality core bond exposure in the short to intermediate duration space uh, and, you know, really balancing that out with some other exposures um, that you know, doesn't really have credit risk, but it's more related to prepayment risk, like securitized, mm-hmm. for example, that's still really high quality. Very quickly, in about 30 seconds before we let you go, Clara, in terms of the BOJ meeting on Thursday and a lot of the weakness that we have seen lately in the Japanese yen against the greenback, what choice does the BOJ have in defense of its currency? Well, I think there was some talk last week from the BOJ in terms of like, checking rates, uh, you know, seeing, putting it out there that they could intervene uh, if if they wanted to. But realistically, if they're going to stick to their yield curve control policy, it's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, really uh, strengthen the yen significantly from from these levels. So, you know, from our perspective, we continue to expect that the BOJ doesn't see inflation as a problem, and as a result of that, are not going to change their yield of control policy and hence you know the yen should stay pretty weak uh on a go forward basis clara thank you so much for joining us clara chung there global market strategist at jp morgan asset management with her take on the market the countdown has begun this may a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the Qatar economic forum powered by bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.